0: a sketch comedy show on TV, sketch comedy is stuff like uh, Saturday Night Live and you know those, those kind of things. I used to watch this one on TV that every once in a while they would break into their series of sketches and show a guy sitting in a desk somewhere and he would say, and now for something completely different. And so today is something completely different and so I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 88, to be exact. In 2009, I had the opportunity to tour the nation, the modern nation of Turkey. In biblical times, referred to, at least part of it was referred to as Asia Minor. And I was there to tour some of the ruins, the archaeological leftovers, if you will, of some of the early churches, specifically the seven that are mentioned in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. And part of that tour of the Turkish countryside and those ancient ruins took us to some amphitheaters. Usually they were on the outskirts of some of those ancient towns or what was left of them. And built into a hillside, but yet uh, sometimes they would use some of the natural rock that was there. But most of the time it was stuff that had been brought in, or at least some of the time it was, And I've never really, I mean, we all understand what earthquakes can do to freestanding buildings. The ground shakes enough that stuff that's stacked up, especially stones with little to hold them together, uh, have a way of falling down. But for things like amphitheaters and the seating part of the amphitheater, which is just stone laying on the ground, you wouldn't think that an earthquake would have that much impact. But those amphitheaters were in disarray. They weren't, they weren't neat like you would expect something built into a hillside to be even over centuries of time. And so I pulled our tour guide aside and he was Turkish and he had been trained in all the tourism stuff. And so I asked him why the, the disarray of the seating of those amphitheaters and he said it was due to earthquakes. And uh, that wasn't a sufficient answer for me. And so I continued to press him with the concerns that I just voiced to you and he continued to push it right back in my face, he says, essentially came to this point saying, you don't understand the kind of earthquakes that we've had here through the centuries. I want to take that picture and remind us of this fundamental truth in life. Sometimes the earth, the landscape of our life, quakes and shakes and ultimately has changed because of the upheaval that we experience. Let me give you a few examples of that. I'll start with the landscape of American life on September the 11th of 2001 and the terrorist attacks that occurred here that caused significant upheaval in the American spirit, in the American economy, and all of those things that grew out of that moment or those series of moments where the earth quaked beneath us as a country, and it changed things. The, the landscape of our American society changed significantly, and it doesn't seem that it has ever gotten back on track, at least to some of us. What you don't know is the week that that occurred, and it seems like, if I remember right, that was on a Tuesday. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that in the church where I was pastoring at the time, I was preaching through the, the gospel of Mark. And we had found our way all the way through to Mark chapter 13, and many of you will recognize Mark chapter 13, and uh, I will say that I I think it's one of those passages that many interpreters in our time have taken and interpreted really in wrong ways and tried to make it say something that Jesus never intended for it to say, but uh, I found myself dealing with that passage as And it starts off in Mark 13 where Jesus and his disciples are walking on the temple mount and they go past and they're remarking to him of how incredible the the building is of the temple. And Jesus makes one of those earth-shaking kind of statements that there is coming a day when no two stones will be left one on top of the other. And what Jesus seems to have been referring to primarily was what would happen in AD 70 when the Roman armies would come in and do some earth shaking of their own and totally overthrow that part of the Jewish life that was their religious center. And the stones of the temple were in fact knocked over. A cataclysmic kind of national identity moment for the children of Israel. That wasn't the only one in their history though. For some of this earth-shaking about which we speak, two of the great um, prophets of the Old Testament, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, were called and pressed into service by God with the people of Israel during a time when they were experiencing some of that earth-shaking stuff of their day, as the children of Israel were taken off into exile in Babylon, and God Uh, spoke into that through these two um, prophets, speaking to the necessity of that as a way to check their religious running afoul. Horrible time for them as people. To be exiled, these people of God, these chosen ones, God's hope for the earth as they would have said of themselves. To be taken away as slaves, Having to live in a distant land. Earth shaking stuff. Which brings me to Psalm 88 because this is another one of those times in the life of at least one of these children of Israel that we find the psalmist says, and and by the way, I'm going to read this whole psalm, and I don't do that very often, the stuff of this uh, length, but I I think it's important that we get the depth of the disorientation here. The word disorientation, as I use it from this point forward, is intended to to capture that earth-shaking kind of moment in our life when it throws our spiritual equilibrium off. And so the psalmist writes in Psalm 88, verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. And then he writes Selah, which essentially means, okay, so let's, let's take a break here. But not for the sake of relaxing. It is a take a break for the sake of reflection. So the psalmist has just laid out his charge against God. You're doing this to me. You're the one who disorients me. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Sometimes those tried and true religiousisms that we like to trumpet out and that we put on bumper stickers or plaques in our homes or cross stitches or all of those kind of things that we frame and we place all over the place in our, in our lives, sometimes those things begin to ring a little hollow because of circumstances disorient us. The spiritual quakes of our spiritual lives take their toll. So if that's you today and you're here and your life is experiencing some of that shaking, take heart. Things will get worse. You know, not only do we go through this kind of stuff as individuals, we also go through these kind of things as churches. And as we come to these kinds of moments and the disorientation of the day seems to be tumultuous around us and it's as if we cannot get our bearings and we are fractured and paralyzed spiritually in times like that, here's a good truth for you to hold on to. In the midst of that disorientation, when the shaking hits your life, look for God. Now, I say it that way on purpose Because I know that we know the things. Part of our orientation, that that grounding that we build our lives on, says we know that God is there and we know he's not going to abandon us or anything like that. But, But internally, when the ground starts shaking, we start running for cover. And sometimes we think maybe God didn't make it to cover with us and somehow we got separated from him. God is always on the move. God is always moving his people forward. And as he does that, another good truth to hang on to is that our disorientation, the times when the ground seems a little shaky for us and and those age-old truths seem to start uh, kind of feeling a little bit squishy, that becomes fertile soil for spiritual growth. It's good to remember what we've been saying through John's gospel as we've been working our way through that in the morning series that we'll pick up again next week. John, in his presentation of Jesus, moves these two questions to the center, and they ring true for us even on days like today. Do you believe in Jesus? And if so, how much do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him enough that even when it looks like the psalmist has described here, and he's nowhere to be found, that he still is for you? Let me give you a couple of examples here out of those that I just got through talking about. Take your Bibles and go over now to the right, a couple of hundred pages probably, to the book of Ezekiel. And I referred to Ezekiel a few moments ago as that prophet. If you, if you want some really entertaining Bible study, uh, spend a little time in the book of Ezekiel. This guy is off the hook on a lot of stuff. And he is that because of what God says to him, speaking to the lives of those people who feel like God abandoned them, and they are exiled in Babylon, and there is no hope for them, it seems. God calls this guy Ezekiel, and he puts him out into the front, and he says, okay, I want you to do these things. And he acts out prophecy for them, and some of it is really strange stuff. But it's in that that I I want you to hear these words. We're going to read verses 10 through 15 of chapter 3. And I want you to listen for the voice of uh, of order and structure. The voice of God saying, even though you are disoriented where you are, I have not abandoned you. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 10. Moreover, God said to me, son of man, all of my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. This is a call into Babylon. By by the, the place there where they have been kept and where they are separated from all of their traditions and all of their history and many of their people. And so we pick up reading again. In verse 12, and then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and He took me away and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And the picture that we have is those exiles who have been divorced from God's presence so they believe. God puts his hand on his man and he says, You go represent me and those people so that they might know that I haven't forgotten them. It's a good truth for us to hang on to. When we find ourselves off balance and the landscape changes around us, spiritually speaking, God knows and he notices. We go back a little bit to Jeremiah chapter 29, same basic time in history, the same basic situation of the people of God. But in Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 10, we read these words, For thus says the Lord, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and, de- and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so again, the voice of God through his man to a people in the midst of disorientation where their spiritual landscape has been rocked, God says, I know what I'm doing. I'm alive and I'm for you in this. Which pushes me finally to Psalm 91. And in Psalm 91, just a couple of ver- uh, pages over from the last Psalm that we read, first four verses, we find incredible words. These are some of my wife's life verses. Our daughter painted these words, or at least some of them, uh, on some rotten lumber and stuck them up on a wall in our, in our bedroom. And they hold incredible truth for us in times of disorientation. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield And a buckler. And with those words, the psalmist drives the message home for us regardless of what the landscape looks like, God is alive. And He's for you. He's for you individually, He's for us as a church. A good truth coming out of that is that God never moves in disorienting unless he's also already provided the grounds for trust. Let me say that a different way. When your world seems to be shaking and falling apart, God has already done enough to give you reason to trust him. John says it, or we're saying it for John. Do you believe in Jesus? And if so... How much do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him only when the snack gets turned into food for a multitude? Do you believe him only when he comes walking across the stormy waters? Do you believe him only when he heals you? Do you believe him enough that when things seem to be out of sorts, you still trust him? The question, I guess, is will you look for him? Because the reality is, if you came in here today and you're not in one of those disorienting times of your life, you will be. Chances are good before the hour's over, you will be. And if not before the hour's over, before this week is over, almost certainly something will come your way individually that will shake you. Things come the way of churches that shake us. With that in mind, I want to invite Brian to come up and he has some things to share with us. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we go from this point forward in this service, help us to look for you and know that you are for us. We pray for Brian in this moment that you would build him up in your strength and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. If I could sum up Christianity in three words, I would say, Jesus is Lord. When God called me to the ministry during my teenage years, it wasn't just a call to get paid working for the church. It was a surrender of my entire life to his plan. I told the Lord, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Wherever you send me, I'll go. I'm yours. And that commitment has been the guiding light through 13 years of church ministry. It's been five good years of ministry here at Crestwood. But now that same call is leading my ministry here to an end. I want to give you a little bit of context for that decision. Early last year, uh, the Lord impressed on my heart to get ready for a transition. And that was all He said. So my wife and I began to pray and to seek His face. Part of that process was finishing my Masters of Divinity from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and that was wrapped up around the summertime. And early in the fall, God revealed the second piece of the puzzle, and He gave me the impression that my time in music ministry was coming to an end, and that He wanted me to focus more on um, where I was studying, and my passion, which is theology, uh, discipling, mentoring, teaching, preaching, uh, that area of ministry. So I sat down with Pastor Mark early in the fall and discussed through some of those things. And I began to send out resumes to various churches around the country for discipleship positions, teaching pastor positions, But that's where I hit a snag. As I begin to prepare myself mentally for the search committee process, where they sit you down, they say, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? What's your philosophy of ministry? Those kinds of questions. Knowing that I had to answer with absolute honesty. I was forced to deal with something that I had honestly been suppressing for a couple of years, and that is that God has been slowly changing some of my doctrinal beliefs, sometimes in a very subtle way, sometimes in an uh, overhaul way. And I began to study those things, pursue them, tease them out, and then finally, as I was forced to deal with this question at Christmas time, um, I came to the conclusion that with integrity, I, I could not um, continue within the Southern Baptist Convention, that my doctrine had changed. And that leads me to where I am today confronting those convictions. And so, as a result, um, I'm going to be stepping down from my position here as worship leader at Crestwood Baptist. Um, we're going to go through a time of transition, but in somewhere in April, my wife and my family, we're going to be moving to Oklahoma, um, where my parents are, And we're going to be starting over somewhat. I don't have a church lined up. Um, I ask for your prayers for that. Um, I want you to know it's important for me that you know that I'm not running from God's call on my life. Uh, I believe that I am fully in God's will at this moment. I'm not going to stop ministry. Just because I don't get paid to do it, I'm still going to minister because that's what God's called me to do and be, whatever context I'm in. But above all, more than anything else, I want you to know that it's been five good years of ministry here at Crestwood. You've become my family. I've grown to love you. I, it has been my honor and my privilege to stand before you and lead you in worship. And I will miss you terribly. But I know that in all this, There may be uncertainty. You may not understand. Um, That's okay. But I ask for your love. I ask for your prayers. And I want you to know that you have mine. I pray nothing but God's fullest blessings on this body and this congregation. Thank you.
0: So I want to add a couple of things to what Brian has said. And um, notably, I want to express to him, I've done this privately. I've done this in a couple of different small groups, and I've done it in the early service, but I do it here. He knows this, but you need to know this. That uh, I appreciate Brian and the work that he has done here. You need to know this is not in any way... um, Our decision, I mean, we we didn't come to him and say, hey, don't you really think you ought to go somewhere else? Nobody's done that. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, this is one of those that's very difficult for us as a church. It's disorienting for us. Um, There's nothing further from uh, a suspicion that there's any moral issue to this. Nothing like that. This is God moving him and his family in a theological Reflection on their part, and what he has done in this is is most difficult to do. And as a church, we want to affirm him and Kristen and their family, and support them. Uh, Even though his ministry time here has come to a close, that doesn't mean that friendships here have come to a close, and it doesn't mean that we just you know move on. Uh, We'll talk about that here in a second. But the reality is that one of the things that we we must do, we need to do as a church is to appreciate them for the ministry that they have had among us. And uh, I intend to do that, and I intend to lead us to do that, as you'll allow me to lead you there. I don't think that's a stretch, though. I think we all want that. So uh, that pushes us to to thank them. And I'm going to leave that to you on some individual kind of levels to make sure that you express to Brian and Kristen your appreciation as I have done. We have invited them to continue to worship with us until such time as they move. That is their decision. That's hard to do for a minister who has resigned from a church. It's just really hard to do that, but the invitation is there for them. And uh, So one of the things that happens is we, we have to transition. As he is transitioning... We want to help them do that. Our personnel committee has met, and we're going to help them as a church financially uh, through the time that he has uh, expressed to us what his plans are. And uh, we believe that's the right thing to do. And he and I have talked about that. And so that's, that, is in the, that plan is in place. Uh, we also need, as a church, to transition. And so if you happen to be visiting with us today... This is not a normal worship service, Um, but I'm glad that you're here so that you can see how we function as a family in times of crisis, because every family faces crises, and they have their own rules of how they do it, so one of the ways that we do it is we kind of hunker down together, and uh, we support each other, and that's what we're trying to do for Brian's family and for us as a church, and so... um, the first order of transitioning for us as a church and for them as a family has to do with those who have been active in the music ministry in Brian's time. And so tonight they will have a normally scheduled choir practice. I rather suspect it won't be a normal choir practice. But if you have been part of the music ministry here, uh, I think it's important for closure and for discussion purposes for you all to have some time with Brian. And so he'll be running that, and uh, that'll be tonight at the normal time. 6 o'clock in the choir room. And uh, so if, uh, if you've been part of the music ministry, I would encourage you to be there for that. Now, the way our church family works according to bylaws is that when we have a staff vacancy like this, uh, the interim uh, personnel, that's the best way to say it, is really in the lap of the personnel committee. And so we had a meeting on Friday night, um, as this was breaking on Thursday. Deacon's meeting was Thursday night, personnel was Friday night, and so uh, our personnel committee is beginning the process as they settle into this news that we've received. Uh, They will be bringing forward, okay, here's how we're going to do it. Okay, we're not going to give up doing music in this service. Brian and I talked about today's service, and some of the musicians are already aware what was going on, and so we didn't want it to be uh, a chore to get to the music service today. Next week, we'll pick it up, and uh, we're committed to doing really good worship service with the music. We've always been that way, and we're going to continue to be that way. Uh, we're just going to have to fill our way through that, and we, uh, we'll, we'll do that. The personnel committee is helping us uh, find those people who are going to help us do it. Uh, but the longer range, finding the minister that would uh, come after Brian in this capacity, We'll have to elect a committee, a search committee, and next week I'll start talking about that. It's not appropriate for us to talk about that today because we need to say goodbye to them in the appropriate way. So we're going to do that. And with that being said, I'll ask Brian and Kristen to come up to the front, and as we grieve as a church, um, we want to move forward in appropriate ways in appropriate time. One of the appropriate ways... Uh, for them and for us is to have a time here that we're going to formally pray for them, all right? So I'm going to ask if you're part of the music ministry of this church in any way, you want to come up and you just kind of, i say put your hands on them, but, you know, I don't know if he wants that or not, so he might pop you if you're not careful. So um, come on up. If you're part of the music ministry, uh, we would invite you to come up and we'll just kind of surround them a little bit. I've asked Jerry Finter to uh, lead us In this prayer. In the early service we did this. And I had the deacons come up. And I led the prayer. But I think it's appropriate that uh, our music ministry. Do this. And at the close of this prayer. You will be dismissed. And we'll keep you posted as we go. Okay Jerry.
2: Lord. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, and that promise stands firm even today. We may feel as if the the earth is quaking a little bit tonight, today. However, we know that we can stand firm on the solid rock. The foundation that we always know is firm, and that's you. Your love is eternal. And we can count on it every single second of our lives. We trust and put our faith in your guidance and your direction for each one of us. Especially right now, do we pray for Brian and Kristen. Praying your strength for their life for the days ahead during this transition we pray for peace as they wait for your guidance. We pray for patience as well. Lord, these days are not easy for them. And we know that in the days to come, there, there may be times of, of grieving and tears. But there will be a, yet a new adventure ahead for them. A new beginning, a new place, a new home, a new foundation. But we know that always you will be there. Guiding, directing, giving hope, giving peace, giving strength when it's needed. And so Lord, as we say goodbye to them, we send them off with the full assurance that they will be taken care of by you, that they will always be in your hands and in your care. We also pray today for us, for our grief as we say goodbye. Help us, Lord, to be people of grace and love and to show them how much we truly care about them and have cared about them as family for all of us. Thank you for the memories that we hold. Thank you for the the lessons that we have learned together. Thank you, Father, for what you will continue to do and that friendships will continue no matter the distance or the time that separate us. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for this moment. Thank you for the growth that you will create in each one of us through this circumstance and this event. And we look forward to what you will do every single day to bless us and help us, and grow us, and show us anew that indeed we put our faith in you. Thank you, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.